Dr. Long, I want to get you to come up for just a minute. I want you to tell us what you've been doing. Come on up. He's, uh, he's been on a missionary journey, and uh, I want you to, you need a mic. You need a mic. There's one right there. Get a mic. Tell them what you've been doing. I have, I have been with my wife for two months, and she's been doing all of the work. One of the highlights of the summer, we actually were on Cape Cod uh, at a Christian camp uh, close to where this young lady is from, Plymouth, Massachusetts. And uh, so I had a wonderful privilege. I spoke in the chapels of the kids at the camp. And uh, at the highlight, though, was usually from 1 o'clock every day, I had a discussion group. And I had young men college age. They were either staff workers or counselors. And I had one thing with them for the whole two months, and that was, who is Jesus Christ? And John chapter 1, he says, um, uh, John writes, and John the Baptist is speaking, and he says, there stands one among you whom you do not know. And I used that to launch into the whole uh, several weeks conference. And two of the young men responded so well, 21, 22 years old, they didn't know who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was, and I knew their grandfather, and their grandfather was an earned Ph.D. from German seminary. And I knew the mother who was, a, the grandmother who was, and she's still alive at 90. And yet these boys didn't know anything about the gospel. What a wonderful opportunity. So, and then I spent my, a lot of time editing my Romans notes and, uh, and some other things. I wrote a novel, and I edited that. I wrote a novel several years ago, and... Uh, so anyway, so and Gail spent a lot of time in music every day in chapel. She's worked with them in music, and then also she was pulled into a discussion group. And then all the other assignments that come your way because you're a warm body that's near at hand. But um, this, it's, it's a lot more restful than India and Ukraine and other countries that we've gone to. So we're happy to be home. It was nice to see everyone this morning. And by the way, to give a plug... The uh, Sunday school class will resume next Sunday. Uh, I said I was available, and Charlie said, no, you will be in class. So thank you, Pastor. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Tonight I want to thank some people for some different things. Uh, A few weeks ago I asked if anybody could uh, help me do some Visiting, you know, Brother Ed is stepping back a bit, and we have lots and lots of people to visit in our church, and uh, some stepped uh, forward. Uh, the two men, Ken and uh, Gerald, uh, stepped forward, and they have been working real hard visiting people. Uh, Ken has been taking uh, Brother Schaefer with him and taking him right up to the door. And then he doesn't have so far to walk, and they've made a lot of great uh, uh, visits. That was wonderful. Karen Stanhope and Jackie Poplin and Linda Church and Ellen Thomas uh, stepped up and said that they would like to help. And so they have gone through our church directory and have contacted, I don't know how many people, uh, probably 50 or 60, that uh, we hadn't heard from in a while to kind of check up and see where they were and what they were doing, and 
That's very, very helpful. And so we appreciate what they're doing. Sometimes we have single ladies uh, visit the church. And it's always best, of course, if I have somebody to go with me. Uh, and so it's, it's good that uh, there are some folks that can help in that. And uh, we're looking forward to making a lot of great visits uh, in the future. I also wanted to read you a card that we got. It's really a nice card. I only do this for $500 gift cards. Uh, I don't do this for 10s and 20s. I just do it for $500. Please accept this donation to the building fund for Trinity Baptist Church in honor of Ken Fanning. Ken is the neighbor of Pat Brumlier, I think is the way you say it, who has been blessed time and time again with his generosity, his time, and his concern. Uh, Ken drove Pat to Tampa General when her husband collapsed in March. He stayed with her for hours and drove her home after that uh, long first day. He drove her back the next day and stayed with her until her daughter arrived. In the span of a week, he took Pat to the ER twice, staying with her, until she was released, her family arrived. In between all of these hospital runs, Ken has kept a close eye on Pat, much to the comfort of her family. It is our joy to make uh, this donation in Ken's honor to the church that is his home. We are blessed to have him in our lives, and it's signed by the three ladies. I wanted to thank Ken for being so good. Now I want all of you to help your neighbor. This will help our building fund. We need a lot of help in our building fund. And uh, so we want you to get right out there and, uh, and get with it. Well, tonight, if you have your Bible, we are in the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 13, beginning in verse uh, 24. So if you'll turn to that, this is the parable of the wheat and tares. Uh, Jesus uh, presented another parable to the disciples saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore again, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have all these tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and to gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now, you remember the parable that we did two Sunday nights ago. We talked about the sower that went out to sow seeds in the field, and there was the real hard soil that was the rock, you know, rocky well, it was real hard because the people had walked on it. And then there was the rocky soil, which uh, wasn't very good either, really. 
And then there was the area where all the weeds were, and they would grow in and choke out the seeds. And then there was the good soil. A fourth of the soil was good, and they sowed their seed there, and uh, it produced uh, 30, 60, and 100-fold. So tonight, these two parables kind of go together. The parable also uses the figure of a farmer out sowing uh, in his field. But here, the emphasis is not on what happened to the good seed, but what happened to the bad seed. Uh, when the enemy came and sowed it alongside and with uh, the good seed. The good seed is assumed uh, to have fallen on good soil, very fertile ground. It took root, it grew into healthy and productive uh, grain, identified here as wheat. Uh, the man who sowed the good seed is the landowner in verse 27. Uh, He's planting his field. The phrase, while men were sleeping, doesn't mean that these guys were negligent or that they were lazy. It's not talking about that. Uh, They did their day's work and they went home went to bed. They didn't expect that something bad would happen uh, during the nighttime. And so, uh, of course, while they were sleeping, It is uh, this beautiful field, newly planted uh, field that was great. While they slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and then they went away. The tares are a variety of darnel weed. Now, I have never heard of darnel weed. Have any of you ever heard of that? I never have. Um, That closely resembles wheat. It is almost impossible to distinguish it in the early phases of its growth. Uh, When the wheat ripens and bears grain, uh, then you can tell the difference. Because of this resemblance, showing tares among the wheat was sometime done in ancient times to wreak evil upon somebody. This was something that you would do to your enemy. This is something that you would do Uh, because you had some revenge that you wanted to take out on somebody. Maybe you wanted to destroy their whole crop, or maybe you just wanted to make the crop unprofitable. And so this is uh, what they did. It was common enough for the Romans to have a law passed saying that this was against the law uh, to do this. So evidently this was a fairly common thing that people did when they were trying to get even with somebody about something. It was not until weeks later when the wheat sprang up and bore grain that the tares would grow up right beside it. They were of different heights. Uh, When they saw so many tares among the wheat, the slaves of the landowner came to him and asked him how in the world uh, this could have happened. Uh, It was not uncommon, of course, for a few weeds to blow in or a few tares to blow in from somewhere. But uh, to grow among these good plants, what they saw was a whole field that was filled with tares. This was just uh, terrible. It was obvious that the crop was intentionally uh, sabotaged. The landowner explained the obvious. An enemy has done this. Now let me ask you tonight, 
Uh, have you ever been out uh, sowing the, the good seed and somebody has come along behind you and is trying to depreciate or to mess up the work that you've done? One time, um, I went out and visited a number of people. And if they're not there, I always leave a card on the door. And, you know, that lets them know that uh, we cared and that we came, we were there. And uh, I just happened to find out that somebody followed behind me and picked up those cards. I've never forgotten that. And uh, I thought that was terrible. Uh, I thought, well, good night. You don't have something better to do than that. You know, the enemy wants to put Christians down. And this is a very, very common thing that happens in the world. Uh, my mother was not real complimentary about uh, uh, Christian people earlier in her life. And whenever Billy Graham would uh, come on the TV, I would always uh, go in the living room. And uh, earlier in my life, of course, I would listen to him on the radio because they didn't have television. And later in my life, uh, you know, he'd be on TV, and I'd turn on the TV and watch. And my mother would always say in the background, he's a name dropper. He's a name dropper. That's all she ever said about him. You know, one time he was speaking, and he said that he had been in the home of all of the presidents or something like that. And so from then on, she said, he's a name dropper. That's what he is. He's a name dropper. You know, some people want to cut down what Christians are trying to do, trying to accomplish. And if it happens to you, don't get bitter about it. Don't get all mad and huffy about it. Just keep doing the good work. You know, there's only one scorekeeper that makes any difference. Did you know that? There's a lot of scorekeepers in the world, but there's only one that makes any difference. And he knows what you're doing. And he knows the motive out of which you are proceeding. And that's very important. And, uh, of course, uh, this guy uh, was an enemy. He was doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And, uh, and that was terrible. Realizing the seriousness of this devastating crime... The slaves uh, said to their master, well, do you want us to go out there and just get all those tares, get them out of there? No, he replied, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the, the wheat with them. And uh, we don't want that. Uh, the slaves were rightly concerned, fearing that the tares would weaken and perhaps even ruin the whole field of the wheat. But the experienced lamb owner knew more damage would be done by the good crop by doing it at that time. And so he said, wait, and uh, we'll uh, do this at a later time. Well, they allow both to grow until the time of the harvest. The farmer instructed, in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and then take them out and burn the bundles. 
Only at the time of harvest could the good and the bad plants be distinguished with certainty. It was very obvious which were which at the uh, last days of the harvest. The reapers were more experienced than the slaves. They had some sophistication in their farm work. They knew how to do more things and to do them better. So those were the ones that were qualified to weed out the tares and burn them. After that was done, they would proceed with the harvest, and they would gather up the wheat into the landowner's barn where it would be stored and protected for uh, future use. Now, that's the way it ought to be. It doesn't uh, always work out like that. Um, you know, a lot of times people tell you they're going to do things, and they, don't, and they don't do them. And if you're not careful, you get discouraged. I don't, I, of course, I haven't kept track of this. But over the years, I, I've been doing this a long time, uh, over the years, hundreds and hundreds, if not a thousand people, have told me that they were going to join the church. <laughs> and, they, and they don't. They never do. Um, you know, I get all excited and I come back and tell Paula and I tell our staff and you know, I tell people, well, we've got a wonderful couple joining Sunday, and then Sunday comes, and I preach my heart out, and they don't come. You know, and you want to say, come now! <laughs> you know, but that, that's not good, so you don't, you don't do that. Well, the thing I want to say about this is when you have planted the fields, you've done it right, You've uh, put out the good seed and the good soil. You've done all your work that you could possibly do. And then something terrible happens. You've got to be strong in the Lord and not get discouraged. And you've got to stay with it. You've got to stay with it. Amen. And uh, keep doing the work. I'm really going to embarrass Ken now. He stayed with it. He didn't just do a 10-minute deal. He took her over there and stayed with her at the hospital. And the next day he took her back. And then he took her to the ER a couple of times. I mean, he really went out of his way. And then she tried to give him money, and he said, I'm not going to take it. So the lady gave it to our church, which was nice. Um, you know, we, we've got we to gotta stay with it. From the time I was 15 years old, when I became a Christian, I prayed for my family every night until they all died. My mother, my father, my brother. Prayed for all of them every night, all those years. Somebody told me early on in my life that uh, you don't just pray once for something. You pray until uh, it's answered. So I just kept it up. I'm sure Cindy got tired of hearing me pray that way every night. For how many years we've we been married? 20, 21 or something. And, uh, you know, I'm sure she got tired every night hearing the same deal. But, uh, you know, that was important to me. And, uh, and the Lord uh, answered that prayer. And my mother and my brother, I know we're saved because I led them to the Lord in the last days of their life. And my dad, I hope he was. He never gave any evidence of it. 
but uh, he sure heard the gospel a bunch of times and and knew what to do and how to do it and all of that. So I, I hope it I hope it took hold. We've got to stay with it. That's what I'm saying. When the, when the enemy comes in and plants the tares, we can't say, well, that just ruined the whole thing. I quit. You know, a lot of people do that in church. Somebody irritates them. Somebody says the wrong thing to them. And uh, they say, well, I'm mad. I quit. One time in a church I pastored in Georgia, we had some visitors in the service, and I had... Uh, visited them, and I was so glad to see them. And I walked over to their aisle, and I leaned over a couple that were sitting on the aisle, and I talked to the two people that were on the other side of them for three or four minutes. And then the service was starting, so I rushed up uh, to the front. And the people that I leaned over were highly offended, and uh, they quit coming to church. I mean, that happened, which I thought was the craziest. I mean, wasn't it obvious what I was trying to do? I thought it was obvious what I was trying to do, but they were offended. And uh, Cindy was with me when this happened. One time uh, we went over to some friend's house, and these were not uh, long-time real strong Christians, and... uh, they came to meet us and to hug us and and all that. And so I put my arms around this lady, and uh, my hand went in her dress. And, uh, you know, once you're kind of going that way, you can't, you know, you can't hardly stop. And uh, you talk about embarrassing. Now, that was embarrassing. The funny, this makes this even funnier, is that in the back of her her dress. It went in the back of her dress. Cindy wants me to make that real clear. One time, uh, I'm not sure, but it was the same couple. We were walking out of the house. I think it was the same couple. And uh, Cindy was looking down and... uh, the fellow had on dark blue uh, pants, like I always wear, wear in a blue shirt. And uh, somebody said something, and she reached over and patted his stomach. She thought it was me. <laughs> and then she looked up, and I was ahead of her. <laughs> and so she was real embarrassed. You know, you have a lot of embarrassing things happen in life. And you just kind of go ahead. You know, you go ahead. You don't say, well, I'm mad I quit. You know, you go ahead. Some things happen that are awkward and uh, not just right. Well, uh, let me give a, a bit of an explanation of this, uh, of this parable. The, uh, after they heard the uh, parable of the sower and of the wheat and the tares, the disciples, no doubt, wondered, well, how can we, as a relatively small group, impact the world? How can we uh, make a real difference? 
how can we lead the world to Jesus? Um, the disciples, no doubt, uh, thought that, you know, I wonder if this uh, Christian thing can keep going, if it can survive with all the people that have rejected the Lord. And, you know, uh, some of those were kind of fair-weather friends that stood with Jesus early on. You know, the, the folks that put down the palm branches later on were calling, calling out, crucify him, crucify him. Same, same people. You know, the, the group uh, changed, and they knew that. Uh, there was a contaminating influence of people that had rejected Christ totally who early on were a part of his band, were following him around, uh, watching everything that he did and listening to everything that he said. How could God's people survive, much less thrive, in the midst of such an unfavorable environment? How, how could that happen? Uh, would not the, the great power of Satan and his evil forces, both demonic and human, wouldn't they utterly overwhelm uh, and stifle the few, these few strong believers? Uh, Jesus had some people that followed him that, that gave their life for him. So he had some good followers, but uh, some of the folks, uh, as I said, that were following early on, they, uh, they turned against him. Uh, long before Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion, it was evidence evident that the Jewish leaders were against him and they were pushing to have him killed and of course the disciples <coughs> knew that they knew that they knew that this was happening they rejected him they rejected his claims of messiahship uh, it was all bad uh, from their point of view it was obvious that the multitudes who were following, did not understand all of what he was saying, and his true nature and mission were only a superficial attraction uh, to those that were in the area. His true disciples were a handful against the, really the whole nation of Israel, all the Jewish leaders, all the people that couldn't care less, all of those in the Roman legions, the Romans were against Jesus because, you know, they thought, well, he's starting up a, some kind of a revolt here or something. And so they were against him as well. Um, in response to that unspoken concern, Jesus used these two parables that I've mentioned tonight to emphasize that small things can have a far-reaching uh, effect. You know, there have been a lot really uh, great uh, men and women uh, for the Lord. You know, there was a lady named Corey Ten Boom. You've probably heard something of her. Think about the person that led her to Christ. You know, they probably thought, well, I led this little girl to Jesus, and that's sweet. Never thought again about it. But come to find out, Corey Ten Boom changed the lives of a million people. You know, it turned out to be a big deal. Think about uh, the man that led uh, uh, Billy Graham to the Lord. And he thought, well, here's just a, you know, a little kid. You know, this doesn't really make a lot of difference. 
Well, it did make a lot of difference. Made a whole lot of difference. In fact, some would say uh, that it uh, was the definition of a certain era uh, in our past. You know, he was known all over the world, famous, led uh, thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people to Christ. Preached uh, to more people than any other person in history, I believe. I read that somewhere. I don't know if it's true or not. Preached to more people face-to-face than anybody ever has in the world uh, about Jesus. Well, you know, the guy that uh, led him to the Lord, that's a big thing. You know, sometimes we do something that doesn't seem to be very significant, and it turns out to be real significant. We have a lady that's a member of our church, and she came up to me one day and she said, you know, we have a cruddy sign out here in front of the church. She said, why don't we get a better sign? And I said, well, I think, I think you're right. I think we need a better sign. And uh, she said, well, we need a big sign with lights. And she wanted... Um, was it smell or what was it? She wanted, what, was it sound? It was, I know it was sound. Maybe it was sound. Sound. She wanted sound on it too. She didn't want just the light. She wanted sound. And uh, so, I, you know, I started talking to some people, and she uh, came up and said, here's $10,000 to get you started. Well, you know what? We might have thought that was a little thing back then, but we built a real nice a sign and put it out there and it was her uh, suggestion her gift really that made it happen and you know what's happened about half of the people now that visit our church visit because of our sign it's a very very important thing in the life of this church I mean there have been a lot of people saved because of that sign I mean, that was a really important thing. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, don't get discouraged. Don't say, well, you know, there's all these terrors out here, and we're not going to have a good crop, so I quit. You know, we've got to stick with things. And we've got to do the work continually that brings uh, pleasure and brings a smile to to the face of Jesus. And if we'll do that, we'll, we'll, we'll be on the right track. We'll be doing the right thing. God would demonstrate through the church how a handful of believers can change the world. And these guys, as you know, they went out and they literally changed the world. There was a, such a thing as a Judeo-Christian ethic that has gone around the world There's been a Christian work ethic. Uh, There have been all of these major things that have changed the world in a very clear way. And the millions and millions of people that have trusted in Christ. These guys, uh, with the endowment of the Holy Spirit, went out and changed the world under the leadership of the Lord. They did great and mighty things. And, you know, you can go back in history and look at this time period and then this time period and then this time period of, you know, who did what and what difference it made. And, and, and it made a lot of difference. 
You know, any one of you sitting in here tonight could make an unbelievable difference in our area. You could think up a creative way to reach people for Christ. You know, we had a lady that wanted to do the sign. Well, what's another way? You know, what's, what's five more ways? You know, what, what's a way in which you can help? That you can be in the, the forefront of the ministry. That you can be on the, on the front line as we go to battle for the Lord Jesus. That's what uh, this, is, this is all about. Now, Satan's against us. He's the enemy. He's going to plant the tares. But we've got to move ahead anyway. And the Lord will give us the strength to do it. Well, tonight, if you're here and you'd like to trust in Christ as your Lord... We want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you're here and you'd like to join the church, we'd love to have you. Uh, as that lovely couple this morning came, we pray that you'd come tonight and join with us and serve with us as we try and reach out and touch the uh, world uh, for the Lord. I'll stand down here. We're going to sing. If you feel led of the Spirit, then you just come and take a stand for Christ. Let's stand together. I can hear my Savior calling, I can hear my Savior calling, I can hear my Savior calling, take thy cross and follow. Bob, why don't you come up and lead us in our closing prayer tonight. We're glad you're back. We missed y'all. Uh, we're glad that you're back with us. Father, we thank you for your wonderful love expressed to us in our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have built this uh, body of believers here in Sun City. We ask you to Continue to bless us, encourage us. May we grow in faith and knowledge of this one who loves us and one day is coming for us. We pray for our staff, pray for the pastor, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to sing and to express uh, our faith through the preaching of the word. Now bless us, and Lord, we do remember those like Kathy who are ill and, and needing your healing. And there are many, Lord. We are of an age where illnesses rampant among us so we pray this night for those who are ill now bless us as we go our way this evening may we take the light of the knowledge of jesus christ with us and share our faith in your name we pray lord jesus amen